And so let's get started this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, as I've already mentioned, uh, we're in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We're continuing on in this uh, fantastic chapter. And this is the middle part of Jesus' sermon, uh, known as the Olivet Discourse. And so this is the middle part. We'll actually conclude it next week. Let me read uh, the the verses, verses 25 to 33 for you, as is our pattern. And then I'm going to pray one more time before we dive in. Luke records these words of Jesus speaking. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations, in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, When these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And then he told them a parable. Look at this fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, This generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Pray with me, would you? Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, um, each week, uh, Father, as we've been approaching these words of Jesus, this sermon of His, this prophecy of His, oh, Father, um, Uh, Our hearts have been blessed. Our hearts have been blessed because we are literally hearing from you. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that on this day, literally maybe 36 hours before you died for us, you uh, wanted this message to be heard by your disciples in that day, but also by us here today. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for inspiring Luke to collect these words to talk to the eyewitnesses who were there, who heard Jesus speak these words and record them for us so that we would know these things today. Holy Spirit, we pray, I pray, help me, help us to hear these words of Jesus afresh today, alive today. And I pray these things in his worthy name. Amen. Amen. So I do have a sermon title for you. It will not be on screen. Uh, It's pretty simple. Uh, Signs of Jesus's soon return. No points, just a title. These are signs given to us by Jesus of his soon return. So as you know, as I've already said, we're in the middle of this great sermon here today. As as Jesus prepares on that day 2,000 years ago to prepare his disciples for their future. And at the same time, he reveals near future events for the people of Israel and the religious system, as well as the far future that we're now looking at today. Last Sunday, we learned that this sermon, better known as the Olivet Discourse, is prophecy, and that prophecy, essentially, it has many purposes, but it essentially does two things. Yes, it tells the future, but prophecy is always given in the context of the here and now. It's it's always given because it's applicable to lives right now. And so it certainly was 
to the followers of Jesus in his day as his disciples, and it certainly is to us today. How to live our lives as followers of Jesus is what we're going to hear and learn today as his disciples in light of what is going to happen by the very will of God. And we know for sure what's going to happen, right? So in the first part of the sermon that we looked at last Sunday, we heard Jesus prophesying about the future destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and later that summer, the destruction of Jerusalem itself. It literally came true 35 years later in AD 70. Everything in that community was reduced to rubble. There wasn't one stone as Jesus prophesied and said would happen of the temple that was on top of another. They were all laid waste. Actually, another thing happened at that time in AD 70 that we didn't highlight last week, but I will for you today. The religious system of the Jewish people, the people of Israel, ended on that day. Yeah, for sure, there are Jewish people alive today who who celebrate in their synagogues every Sabbath, faithful ones anyway, but here's what ended on that day. The sacrificial system ended for good. It actually ended 35 years previous when the Lamb of God was sacrificed on the cross and in our place and for the sins of the world, right? But it literally ended at that time. That then was for the disciples in that day, their near future, that Jesus wanted them to know would happen. But in the here and now, Jesus also warned them, right? We saw that last week. That their future, as these events were coming about, he warned them not to be led astray. He warned them that in this period of the next 35 years that false messiahs, false Christ, false prophets were going to come along and declare that they're Jesus. He said he was coming back, I'm back. And they would pass that around from village to village. And that actually literally happened, that they did that. And so we'll see that again today that this fact is also true. Jesus had already taught them in the Gospels. In Luke, we've already seen it. He taught them that his second coming would not be a rumor about him being over there in this other town, like in Pemberton. And listen, it wouldn't be on Twitter first. No. It would be obvious to the whole world. All at one time. That's one thing we know for sure. We know a few things for sure. Dates, times, and hours, no. But that we know for sure. That when it happens, everyone on planet Earth will know. So finally, we learned that everything he was revealing to them about their future in that day, the events leading up to AD 70 and the rest of their lives, was to prepare them for one more thing. It was to prepare them for the lives that they were going to lead until that time as faithful disciples who followed the great commandment to go and make disciples who make disciples. They would be persecuted. They would be put in prison. They would be given over to rulers by their own parents, their own family members would betray them. And some of them, 10 of the 11 apostles that were left after Judas betrayed him, would die because of these things. And so the question is, why? Because because they were loving their neighbor as themselves? Why? Because they were doing good works in the community, which they did do? No. No, they would be persecuted for his name's sake. 
they would be persecuted for literally proclaiming his word, for telling people about him and who he is, about his resurrection from the dead, the gospel, for telling people that they are sinners who need to repent and need to be saved now. That's why they would be persecuted and in some cases put to death. Telling people that they cannot save themselves, they cannot work their own way up to God's approval and acceptance, that religion, no, that doesn't work. It was only through the sacrifice of Jesus. There would be no other way to be saved. These are the things that they would tell people and they told them to people faithfully, right? You've read the book of Acts? And for that they were beaten, put in prison, and some of them were put to death. That's why. That's why. Preaching and teaching These things would get them persecuted. So thankfully, we also saw that Jesus comforted them, right? Jesus at various points, at one point in particular, said to them, listen, when these things are happening to you, don't worry about what you have to say. You don't need theology 101 or 505. I will give you the words to speak at that time. So don't worry, I'll be there with you. I will be with you until the end of the age, he also said, right? But one of the most amazing things he said actually to them that they needed to understand is when they were in the midst of that, when they were being persecuted, when they were being treated horribly and told they were just doofuses for believing in this resurrected Messiah, he literally said these words to them in verse 13 that we saw last week. This will be your opportunity, right, to bear witness. Really positive outlook, isn't it? He was serious. And it was their opportunity, and it is ours today as well. So friends, I must also reiterate what I said last Sunday, because it's true. Despite, yes, the fact that it is our duty to go into this world and love our neighbor as ourselves, despite, yes, it is is to go and care for people who are oppressed and poor and widowed for certain, yes, of course, that is true. But this is one thing that we should also know and expect, or maybe not expect, We should not expect that the people in this world will love us back. That's hard, but it's true. If we hold to the Word of God, if we proclaim His names, Jesus actually said last week that the truth is many will, in fact, hate us. They will persecute us. And so far in this this sermon, Jesus has prophesied about the near future. Today, he takes them and us into the far future to his second coming. So let me put the first two verses back up on screen for you, and and then we'll we'll unpack, we'll look at what, what Jesus prophesied about his second coming. Verses 25 and 26 say this, and it's a good key word that tells us he's moving on to the next of these things in prophecy. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So look, first... These words are being uttered by Jesus to his disciples, but again, the Pharisees, the religious guys are there. There's there's quite a crowd, actually. Every single one of them in that day, I repeat, every single one of them would have known with certainty what Jesus was referring to. 
This was incredibly familiar language to the people of Israel, to Jewish people in those days. Incredibly. The Old Testament is replete with similar language, which almost exclusively referred to God himself, to the Hebrew God, to Yahweh, and his appearing and his judgment of the people of the world. One, one good example of that would be Isaiah 13, which I'll put on screen for you, where he says this. Look at the language. It's very similar. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. So as in Luke's prophecy um, of Isaiah's over the people, it had a near future reality too where in those days the Medes came and again overtook the people. So there was a near future truism to that prophecy for the people of Israel in that day, in the days of Isaiah's prophecy, actually many years later. But this is again looking at a far future, which is why Jesus is quoting it, because now it's about the far future and it's about his second coming. You'll find language like this throughout the Old Testament prophets. You can read them, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Zephaniah, and of course in the book of Acts, in Revelation. Again, the same kind of language is spoken. And so the people of Israel on that day would clearly have understood what he's talking about. He's talking about a great act of God that is coming upon this world. Look at, again, I'll put the, verse, the verses back on screen. Look at some of the words in this text. The distress of nations. Perplexity, great word in the Greek and even in English for that matter. It literally means an inability to understand what is actually going on. <laughs> to, to, to the point where you're feeling paralyzed. People fainting with fear. Hearts giving out on them, right? And foreboding which is coming in the world. Let me ask you an honest question. Any signs of that today, do you think? Signs of that? Well, from previous verses in this sermon, we also read about earthquakes famines and pestilences in last week's passage. Well, I did some research, and guess what? The number of earthquakes in the past 44 years, from 1973 to 2017, records show that we've exceeded the long-term average number of major, major earthquakes 11 times in that period. Never before in the history of the world, in recorded time anyway, of earthquakes. And 2020? is on track to set another one of those records. How about famines? You know, despite the wealth of our world, especially the Western world, famines have increased over the past 40 to 50 years, again, exponentially. These are signs. How about pestilences? Since the 1918 Spanish flu outbreak, the rate of deadly diseases whether epidemics or pandemics, has increased exponentially compared to known history. Including major diseases such as measles, cholera, and Ebola, in just the past 30 years, we've seen the emergence of MRSA. We see it in hospitals, nurses, people I know have seen this. Viruses that, and, bacteria, and infections that are resistant to antibiotics just appeared, and they're increasing. And of course, 
in that 30 years, we've seen HIV AIDS, SARS, H1N1, and COVID-19. I think most of you realize that for the past 15 to 20 years, researchers have been expecting coronaviruses, fearfully, and not just one. Sorry for that news. But these are signs. These are literally signs. But there's good news. Jesus wanted them to know that, and he certainly wants you and I to know that. And that's why next he says, and then, then, you will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great power and great glory. Again, again, I must... I make this point that everyone in that day, when they heard these words, they knew exactly with certainty what Jesus was doing. What was he doing? He was declaring to be God. He was declaring to be the one who would come and fulfill these things that the prophets of old had been speaking about. And they knew that. He would be the one who would come again at the end of the world as we know it. So there was no mistaking who he was claiming to be, and this, of course, would not sit too well with those in that day, 36 hours before they plotted to kill him. Many years ago, I had the amazing pleasure of spending three total weeks uh, at different occasions with uh, an amazing theologian. Um, his name is Dr. David Gooding. He's from England. I believe he's in his late 90s now. He's still alive. He's a professor of uh, theology, and uh, he's traveled the world, actually, with Dr. John Lennox. Many of you who might know Dr. John Lennox is an amazing apologist. He's debated Christopher Hitchens and, and Richard Dawkins, and I, I just remember sitting under this man's teaching for, you know, like 12, 14 of us at, at retreats in the Lower Mainland, actually one time in Cincinnati. What a godly man. Uh, he spent his whole life um, um, as a single man. He dedicated his life uh, to being a single man to preach the Word of God, to teach it. He says in his commentary, I just want to quote this for you, I'll put it on screen as well, related to this moment in time 2,000 years ago. These were his words in his commentary. He said, as surely as men standing in Jerusalem once saw him slowly descending the Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives and then ascending the opposite hill into the city, so surely shall the world one day see the Son of Man descending the heavens. Not then... Shall he come as the meek and lowly? He shall come with power and with glory. Not then shall he come riding on an ass. The Brits get away with using that word for donkey. I'm just letting you know. He shall come in a cloud. The emblematic carriage of deity. Not then shall he come to borrow a donkey. Then his advanced preparations shall be the roaring of the sea and the shaking of the powers of the heavens. Jesus goes on in verse 28 and says, now, important words, when these things take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So look, at this point in his sermon, Jesus is no longer actually talking of his disciples in front of him, is he? I mean, he's talking to them, yes, but he's not talking about them, is he? 
I wonder if you see that. Remember what they said and asked him at the start of his sermon before he went into this, this prophecy. They asked him, teacher, when will these things take place and what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? I don't know if I have that on screen. No, I don't. Um, from that point on, Jesus repeats those words, these things, and again, the word and. And of course, first, he's moving to telling them about the temple in Jerusalem and, of course, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And now here, he's talking about his second coming. So listen, Jesus is now speaking to us, right? He's speaking to us when he says these things. And what does he tell us we are to do when these things are happening? Which, listen, come on. I've just been reading it. We've been looking at it. These are, these are scary things. These are frightening things that are happening. What does he say? Straighten up. Raise your heads. I don't know how many times I've read over that and I've thought, okay. Well, let's think about it. Regardless of what some people... Even some of you may think of a man by the name of Dr. Jordan Peterson, professor, author, and clinical psychologist. The first chapter of his best-selling book, The Twelve Rules of Life, is titled what? Stand up straight with your shoulders back. Well, at least at that point, he's in agreement with Jesus, right? That actually is the point that Jesus is getting at. Seriously, that's what Jesus is saying. It's like when, when he comforted them and encouraged them about their future, right? And the persecution that would come. This is your opportunity to bear witness. Now he's encouraging you and I here today, when these things are happening, when you see these signs happening, don't walk around like gloomy and with your head down and sorrowful and sad and straighten up. Look up. I had such an amazing example of that happen to me about three, four weeks ago. Many of you may not be aware of this, but there's something called Monday Blues for preachers. Every pastor has them. I have them. You know, and I like going on my walk around the Squamish Valley Golf Course, and I'm walking around the golf course, and I'm trying to listen to a podcast, but honestly, my mind is like, you know, like there's just things going on, and I'm worried about this, and worried about that, and I got a meeting coming up that's kind of stressful, and you know, and it's like, woe's me, you know, like, and I'm just looking down, and, and I'm looking at the road, and I'm walking along, and I'm barely hearing anything on the podcast of this great sermon by another preacher, and, and all of a sudden I heard this small, still voice. Glenn, would you look up? <laughs> and I did. And at first I looked up and I went, oh, that is a beautiful golf course. <laughs> it really is. It's just really beautiful. And then I was like, oh yeah, there's actually patches of blue. And at this time of year, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? And, and then all of a sudden I just, I just felt God say, would you look up? And I looked up, and he just told me, look, everything that's going on down here, I got it. Just look up. Just look up. Just look up. Let me ask you this. Do you have any neck pain, shoulder pain, <laughs> right? Do you have issues, you know, computers, et cetera? Oh, by the way, how about this thing right here? Looking down all the time. Isn't it amazing Jesus actually gives practical advice? This is spiritual advice, but it's pretty practical. Straighten up. Look up. You'll feel better. You really will. 
And so ultimately, why is it that we can stand up straight? Why is it we can raise our heads and therefore be joyful and hopeful? Because listen, when these things are happening and they are happening, we know with absolute certainty that our full redemption is near. Amen? It is, it is near. So that's really good news. Jesus now goes on and tells us a parable. He says this, and he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees, and as soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Now, you all know this if you've been around here at all. I love parables. I love Jesus' parables. But I really love this one. Oh, yeah, the parable of the rich fool and all the other stories and parables, the prodigal son, all those amazing, multi-layered. This one's super simple. <laughs> it's really simple to get. And yet it's profound because Jesus is saying, this is a sign. This is the, the, one of the most important signs that we need to see in this day and age in this parable. So imagine the picture again, they're walking along with Jesus, they've left the temple, they're all making their way back to the Mount of Olives where he's been preaching and teaching them and where he resides in the evenings to get away from the hustle and bustle and pray to his heavenly Father. And as he's walking along, as Jesus would do, we'd go, hey, look, fig tree. Note, and all the trees. That's really important. And he says, so here's the example, here's, here's what I want you to see. We know when we see these things, that you know this is true. When you, when you see the, the, the leaves starting to sprout out of the branches of the trees, you know summer's coming. You know it's coming. And then what happens after the summer? The harvest, right? And so Jesus is saying, when these things are seen, know. These signs, these things are happening, know that yes, there's summer, there's also a harvest coming. So we also know this. This time, this date in the future that God has given to us, we, we, know, we know that we don't know any date, time, or whatever. And that's what Jesus has told us, right? But we do know this. We know this. The date, the time, the hour has been set. You do know that, right? It is fixed. It's not at some point God's going to go, okay, Jesus, Holy Spirit, things are pretty bad, right? Do you think we should act? No, it's fixed, it's set in time. And listen, as he spoke to his disciples on that day about their new future and therefore their here and now for their daily lives, he's also speaking that to you and to me. And so hear this, this is no longer our far future. This means that this is our near future. That's what we should conclude, I believe. And in this simple parable, Jesus illustrates what he meant by when these things begin. In the previous verse, he points to this little fig tree and all the other trees and says, you know the signs, right? You know the signs. And so the same thing is true when you see these things taking place in your day and age. You should expect, I'm coming. Very soon. He then adds, Truly, I say to you, this generation, I emphasize that, will not pass away until all has taken place. 
he concludes with, heaven and earth will pass away. And they will to be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. But look at this. My words will not pass away. Absolute truth is his word that he gives to us. I feel a little bit like sometimes when I think of this parable of the fig tree, what he says here about this generation, I won't do it because of COVID, but it's kind of like, you know what you would do, like whether, whether people in the old days before there were weathermen, you'd, you'd lick your finger and you'd put it up and you'd go, yeah, it's windy and it's coming from wherever. And, and you could forecast, right? That, that's kind of the picture that Jesus is saying. Listen, what he's saying is this. You will not know the hour, the time, or the date, or whatever, but listen, that generation in those days, they will sense it. They will be the ones who will sense it. They will be the ones. That generation will know, will sense in their hearts that he is literally coming soon. So, one question on the most of your minds at this point must be, because <laughs> it was on mine as I was preparing this and coming to a conclusion, must be this. How soon exactly might Jesus return? Well, despite the fact that there are some people on late night television and some preachers of old uh, who, who believe that we can string together teachings from, you know, Daniel, of course, and of course, Matthew 24, Mark 13, here in Luke 21, 1 Thessalonians, Revelation, and you can string them all together and you can go tick, tick, tick. These things must happen before Jesus can come. Now, just simple logic about the preaching of the Word of God should tell us that can't be true because then there would be some human way to figure out the mark of the beast, you know, one world government, you know, Ronald Reagan's name adds up to 666. People thought that. Crazy. One thing we know that's absolutely true, we will not know the hour. Period. Period. And that, by the way, is according to Jesus. For example, the parable here of the fig tree is one that people put forward and say, listen, the fig tree is an example of when Israel became a nation again in 1948, and therefore this generation will not pass. Listen, we just read the text. Nowhere in this text, <laughs> Jesus also said, and I emphasized it for you, all the trees. But they try to point that out, that that's an example of one of the things that we can learn. And some of us might also be thinking, well, the language in the New Testament, listen, if you read the apostles, you read Acts, you read all of the epistles, it seems pretty clear that Peter, James, John, all of them, uh, uh, Paul, they all seem to think he was coming in their lifetime, right? Well, of course, they hoped that, but they didn't know, did they? But they hoped it, and certainly it sounds like that. So here we are, 2,000 years out, what's happened? Some people might look at us and go, silly people, you believe that? It's been 2,000 years, you still believe that? So what's happened? Well, what do we know? Well, number one, we know this, God's timing is not ours, right? The psalmist says in Psalm 90 verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. The Apostle Peter made it even clearer. I love this. He said this, but do not overlook, look at those words, this one fact, science fact, right? This one fact, beloved, 
that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So in the grand scheme of things, since Jesus preached this sermon and made this prophecy in God's economy and in God's timing, this has been what? Two days. Right? (laughs) He's not slow. So number one, what's happened? Well, God's timing is not our timing. Secondly, let me encourage you with this. Remember the fig leaves. Remember the fig leaves. I previously mentioned the increase of earthquakes, famines, and pestilences over the last hundred years. But let me ask you this when it comes to noticing the leaves. Have you noticed? Have you noticed the other signs in Scripture and even in the prophecy of Jesus here in Luke 21, especially in Matthew 24, of the increase of influential false prophets and false teachers. Have you noticed the increase? Well, well, listen, it, it's not just Christian. Sometimes we think this is going to be the increase of false prophets within the church. Listen, there's enough of them. There really is. There really are. And false teachers. This is not necessarily religious. It, it could be other religions too, right? But listen, there are false prophets and false teachers in our secular humanistic society, are there not? And they have all kinds of philosophies and theories that they would like us to believe and to follow. Have you noticed the increased level of hostility towards Christians and what they believe the Bible actually teaches, especially what it teaches about sin? Have you noticed at all the increasing approval of the kinds of rebellious behavior that Paul said would characterize people living in the last days? This is not a pretty picture, but I want to put it on screen for you because it's really important that we see this prophecy from Paul. And he said this in 2 Timothy. But understand this to his his son in the faith, to Timothy, that in the last days, he's prophesying about these days that we're potentially in. There will come times of difficulty for, look, people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, and to match will be lovers of oneself, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Are you watching the leaves? You know, friends, I know that in our world today, there's this idea that we're evolving, right? As human beings, we're getting better and we're getting better. And people will read something like that and go, that's just so pessimistic. Think about it. Think about how true it really is and can be true of our own hearts at times. So again, are you watching the leaves? I have one last leaf for you this morning, and I'll close with this. Have you noticed, are you aware how much The gospel has advanced across the world in the past 100 years. Have you studied the history? Have you seen it? It would appear that we are actually very close to fulfilling one of the key goals of the great commandment that Jesus gave to us. And in Matthew's record of this sermon, of these prophecies, he records the words of Jesus when Jesus said this. And this gospel of the kingdom 
will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So if you've been in the church at all for any length of period of time, you know that the whole idea is we've got to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? And, and, and once we've done that, we've fulfilled the Great Commission, and then Jesus will come again. Friends, experts, theologians would agree today that thanks to planes, trains, automobiles, and the internet, that goal has virtually been attained. Are you watching the leaves? I want to encourage you to do so this week. Well, his sermon's not over. (laughs) Next week, we will see one final and crucial lesson for Jesus, for his disciples, and for you and I. It'll be about how to live on mission with Jesus in these last days. Pray with me, would you?